Welcome back to Cause Talk Radio by Rashpixel.fm, the podcast that shows do-gooders, nonprofits, and businesses how to build win-win partnerships that raise money and change the world. This podcast is brought to you by Engage for Good and Selfish Giving. You can find full show notes and additional resources for today's episode at engageforgood.com and selfishgiving.com. Now, on to today's episode. Hey everyone, it's Joe Waters. I want to welcome you to another exciting episode of Cause Talk Radio. On the line with me, of course, is Megan Strand. Hey, Megan. Hello. Megan, we have a great show today. Really excited. On the line with us right now is the 11th Doctor Who. No, it's not. (laughs) It's Matt Smith. The other Matt Smith. You've heard of two Matt Smiths in the world. This one is director of PepsiCo's Food for Good program, which is a purpose-driven business initiative within the company that tackles childhood hunger. Hey, Matt, what's happening? Howdy. Thanks for having do, me. Do people confuse you all the time? Only you, Joe. You know, I'm looking at your picture right now. You're a celebrity. You're a movie star. I can see it in you. You know, I, I haven't been... The only uh, movie star I'm mistaken for might be Woody from Toy Story, but that's it. <laughs> <laughs> How flattering. How flattering. <laughs> really, really. But uh, Matt, thanks so much for, for joining us on the show. We really appreciate it. Could you start by telling us the history of the Food for Good program? Some people who listen to the show, they may have not have heard of it before, may not be familiar with it. Can you give us the rundown, the background on the program? Sure. Thanks again for having me and for this forum to highlight uh, the work that lots of great folks are doing. Um, yeah, a pleasure. Food for Good is a purpose-driven business initiative. And so there's a lot of buzzwords in this kind of space, social responsibility, um, sustainability. Uh, We like to use the term purpose-driven business because the idea Mm -hmm. is we want to solve real needs in our community, but we want to do it as a business. PepsiCo was doing a lot of amazing things as a company to fight things like hunger and poverty, and we wanted to bring our expertise to the table. So we sat down with a number of community leaders uh, and allowed them to help. uh, We asked them to help direct us to the need uh, and they really pointed us to these needs of access to nutrition mm-hmm. in low-income communities and the need to create jobs in communities. And mm-hmm. that's what we've been working together to do for the last several years. So are you serving kids exclusively or is it anybody who is food insecure? Our primary focus is children. Uh, the Interestingly, so as we ask these big questions of how could a Fortune 50 company bring our expertise to help fight poverty we learned a lot of things uh, up front. First of all, how often uh, companies, different well-meaning organizations ask those kinds of questions and mm-hmm. don't follow through. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we uh, learned about the importance of building trust with uh, community leaders. So we're grateful for their patience with us. And in that process, they really pointed us pretty quickly to a really specific area uh, in terms of access to nutrition of food for kids when they're not in school. So for us, we were very naive to that space, but they told us story after story of how their children, how much they depended on breakfast and lunch at school every day, but then how difficult it is after school or during the summertime when mom is still at work. Uh, She's got a great, you know, stable job. Dad may not be around and the three kids are staying home uh, during the day. That's daycare oftentimes. Um, And that really hits home for me now, uh, where oftentimes every summer that we uh, do these programs during the school year, when we do these programs, I oftentimes see kids around the ages of, say, eight, six and two and the eight year old daughter uh, together with the six year old boy and two year old baby will come out to these programs unsupervised. But that's what summer 
time often like often time looks like for them. Those are the ages of my kids. I can't imagine uh, them being on their own to mm-hmm. get meals during the summertime, but that's what we're trying to address. Yeah, but thank goodness it's there, Matt. Seriously. I mean, it so is. Important. And you know what's what's uh, really important for us to recognize is there's so many heroic nonprofit organizations and individuals that have been doing this work for generations, mm-hmm. frankly. And what we're trying to do is just bring a sustainable component from a business perspective to build bridges to the resources that exist. Food exists in America. It's a, hunger is a different problem to solve here than maybe elsewhere in the world. There's plenty of food and there are government programs to help to pay for food. But we need the right kind of bridges and connections to make that source of food sustainable for these mm-hmm. families. Mm-hmm. I, I, I want to just back up for just a minute and make sure everyone's clear about what we're talking about here. So the Food for Good program, essentially, you're using your products that are, I'm assuming, meet some sort of nutritional guidelines, and you're getting those prepackaged food items to communities in need throughout the year, it sounds like. It's a great question. I'm glad you asked that. Um, <laughs> sometimes people ask us, so which PepsiCo products are part of these meals? Um, that's not the reason that we're doing Food for Good. When we ask community leaders, what do you need? Mm-hmm. Oftentimes it was fresh apples and carrots and mm-hmm. sandwiches. So what we put together, what we provide for these uh, kids each day are fresh, balanced meals, uh, breakfasts and lunches during the summertime, dinners during the school year, after school, after, you know, cold meals and also hot meals in some cities. And where we can include a Quaker Chewy Bar or a Tropicana Juice, uh, we will include those items in the meals, but that's not why we're doing the program. You go into the cafeteria, right? You see a kid. He's there for a meal. He's holding a Coca-Cola. What do you do? You <laughs> feed him? You don't feed him? I mean, you take I away his apple. You're horrible. You know? You're a horrible kid person, where, Joe. <laughs> I asked that kid where he's going to college. Uh, <laughs> I want to hear if he's planning ahead, and if not, I want to tell him how smart he is. That's right, yeah. Maybe, maybe minus the Coca-Cola. Maybe you sit him down. Good I can, answer, see, I can see Matt sitting him down and be like, let's talk about some of the decisions you're making in your life. <laughs> right, Matt? Matt, what about, That's right. what about uh, how many states is this program active in? Uh, states, good question. Uh, we are in 18 different uh, cities as of uh, this summer. That is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine states, if I'm counting correctly. Uh, we started in Texas in the Dallas area mm-hmm. uh, where I'm based. And then we've grown as we've uh, had the privilege of working with a lot of these great nonprofit organizations. There's need. Uh, you know, what we've learned is need everywhere and right around the corner and in every neighborhood and the most important thing is for us to be able to partner with those kinds of great on-the-ground nonprofit organizations to see how we can work together to reach these kids. How long has this program been going on? We started asking questions about this, this crazy idea of a purpose-driven business and what would that look like in 2008. And then our first summer was 2009 in Dallas, uh, piloted by doing about 50,000 meals uh, that first summer. And then we've scaled to the, as I said, 18 cities and uh, did a little bit more than 4 million meals last year. And are you planning to expand to other states or are you trying to just go wider where you are? Yes and yes. Um, We are definitely looking to continue to expand geographically. Always want to continue to go deeper in the communities where we are. And as we look towards uh, the next several years, uh, Food for Good is part of PepsiCo's 2025 commitments. And that includes for us international expansion as well. Wow. So big program. 
It has been. It's a dream job. Yeah. I think it's a much bigger program than you think. Like when I first read yeah. about it, I was like, oh, that's nice. Pepsi donates, you know, Tropicana juices or whatever and sends a pallet off. But when I went to your website, I was like, they have their own trucks and they've got like warehouses and people mm -hmm. doing all this work. Like it's much, much bigger than I thought when I first heard what what it was. Hey, Megan, before we get on to our next question, I want to recognize today's show sponsor, Catalyst. Catalyst is the industry's only matchmaking platform for companies and causes. Think of them like an online dating app for social good. You can research companies, their customers, and the types of partnerships they're looking for. Then you can actually connect with companies that make sense for your organization. How great is that? Catalyst uses sophisticated data and algorithms to broker partnerships between hundreds of Fortune 1000 companies and nonprofits like the Avon Breast Cancer Crusade, the Humane Society, the National Park Foundation, World Vision, and many, many others. With pricing and packaging scaled to your organization's size, it's a solution for everyone. Visit GoCatalyst now, www.gocatalyst.com. How many people do you have employed under this, this purpose-focused business? Yeah, there are about 150 folks year-round wow. uh, that are working with us. And you know what's um, so exciting to me about that is when we sat down for those first conversations with community leaders to say, how could we create something that fought hung, you know, fights hunger and fights poverty? It was, how do we make healthy food more available and create uh, entry-level jobs in our neighborhoods? And that's what we've been able to do and are continuing to grow. And and that's uh, where we've got incredible expertise across PepsiCo to bring in folks from the Frito-Lay and Pepsi sides of the business who know how to move food, route trucks, manage mm. warehouses and logistics. And we run food for good like a business, but we run it at break even. And mm. that's an important part. Um, we actually are part of research and development and innovation at PepsiCo. So we run our operations at break even. So it's imperative for us to be efficient. But we're also learning as we're in these communities how to do a better job um, over time as a company to serve families that we haven't done as great a job of serving in the past. How can we create new products uh, that are affordable nutrition products that could be available in schools and available in their local corner stores so that we can provide a meal through Food for Good, but also healthy food uh, in their local community? I'm so glad you brought that up because that was definitely something I wanted to talk to you about. Like this whole innovation piece. First of all, it's fascinating and awesome that this business for good sits in an innovation lab. Like, isn't that a dream, Joe, just to have yeah. those two things combined? But uh, talk a little bit about what sorts of things have come out of the program in terms of innovations because you've had a, a bunch. We have. Yeah. And it's been a fun process. Uh, you know, we learned early on about the Stanford design methodology and the user centered uh, design process that's been really instrumental for us because we're not trying to perfect innovation in a lab, let's say in a suburb of Dallas, and try to make that something that's effective in a low-income community. What's most important about Food for Good is that we're in the neighborhoods every day together with these kids, so we see how messy uh, a cereal package can be. Mm -hmm. So we've worked with Quaker to make sure that we've got a different kind of bowl pack package for our life cereal. Or we worked with Quaker on a new chewy bar uh, that they uh, created for these programs. Uh, and Tropicana just this summer launched a new, uh, couple new flavors of Tropicana juice boxes. And Food for Good can help to uh, bring the insights of how these programs work 
uh, the nutritional requirements, the cost parameters, packaging requirements. And then we uh, bring those products initially through Food for Good, and then they can scale through our school's business, for example. And we'll sell, you know, we're projecting to sell probably more than 8 million units of those uh, juice boxes this year. And that's a concept that's come through Food for Good. Um, wow. And I can tell you another example from a technology perspective as well that's been pretty exciting. One of the challenges that we faced one of our first summers in Dallas was the forecast of, and it ended up being 60 straight days of 100 degrees mm-hmm. uh, in Dallas. So how are we going to keep turkey sandwiches and milk cold in apartment complexes when it's 100 degrees every day? Mm-hmm. We were using refrigerated trucks, opening and closing those trucks 10 times a day at these sites. And it was tough to keep the food cold. And as we worked together with our research and development partners, they were also trying to address refrigeration technology needs for developing countries, places that may not have refrigeration infrastructure. And what we were able to develop together is what we call our cold boxes. That's a phase change material technology, some highly effective insulation, a durable, stackable box. And that box can freeze overnight and keep food cold all day on a hot truck. Wow. So wow. we can we can deliver fresh meals on a hot truck. We can deliver cold and hot food on the same truck. And we can deliver food to sites, say, like the Chickasaw Nation in Oklahoma, where they may not have refrigeration infrastructure. And these cold boxes can help enable food to get that last mile uh, to those children. So that kind of technology, there's a brilliant scientist named Sonia Benson at PepsiCo that helped us to create those using her expertise. And that's the kind of amazing talent that PepsiCo is bringing to solve these kinds of challenges. Yeah. I need one of those. Yeah. Well, well, you know, it's interesting though, because it really does speak to when we, when businesses apply themselves to these cause related issues, they can really make an incredible difference. You know, whereas, as you know, Matt, I mean, a a nonprofit that might be struggling with some of these issues on delivery, they don't have the same types of resources that you do. So, I mean, that's where that, you know, that, that, um, that partnership with you comes in and so important. But one of the things I wanted to emphasize, Matt, and talk about was talk a little bit about the nonprofit partners. How do they help mm-hmm. you achieve your mission? And who specifically are you working with? Great questions. You know, you're right that oftentimes nonprofit partners don't have some of those resources that we have, uh, but they are also the, the experts in their communities. They have longstanding, deep, um, you know, trustworthy relationships with in their communities. They are the experts at what needs to be done in terms of fighting poverty and hunger. Um, and so if we can bring those resources we have together with their expertise, that's where we find really, really powerful partnerships. So we work with uh, nonprofit organizations, city governments all over the, the country. Uh, an example would be Feeding America Food Banks. Mm-hmm. We often work with local food bank branches, and they help to point us in the right direction. They identify where the need is, the specific sites. And that site could be an apartment complex or a park during the summer. It could be a charter school or a boys and girls club during the school year. And they help coordinate the process of identifying the site and working through the government program. And then we manage the food side of the process of procuring the food, packing, delivering, and managing the process to make sure it's delicious, nutritious, safe, and uh, all of the different aspects required to make sure that kid has a great experience each day. You know, one of the things that so strikes me about this this program, and I've already mentioned it, I'm going to say it again, is just the fact that this is seen as an innovation mm-hmm. center for the company because 
Joe, you probably hear this too, but I talk to companies all the time who there are people running these social good and social impact programs, and they have to spend a lot of time and energy trying to convince other business units that they should even look at cause as a way to, you know, move the needle on business objectives while creating an impact. And it strikes me that you probably don't have as hard of a time doing that. Do you, Matt, as you're, if you're seen as like an innovation hub, you're kind of like a cool incubator or what have you. So is it, is it easier for you to work with like the Quakers of the world, the brand managers there to kind of get some of this stuff through? You know, it is. I, I think the important thing for us is to understand the language that we need to speak. Food for good was never set up to be and never will be a profit center for PepsiCo. So we're not, so for us to be housed on the profit side of the business is not the best uh, location for us. But Mm -hmm. similarly, we're not the foundation. We are using business expertise. So we're in between and being in that innovation space is a perfect place because the way that I, I believe the business sees what we're doing is, yes, we're less profitable, but we are a more efficient mechanism for innovation. We're not separated. We're not separating the theoretical from the practical in innovation. We're bringing a practical innovation incubator to the table uh, to make sure this innovation can live in the real environment. Well, it's also really timely too, though, right? Because you're you you have to meet nutritional standards, right. and at the same time, like consumers everywhere are kind of pushing for more nutrition in their food. So I would imagine that that's a huge priority at Pepsi is to keep rolling out the nutritional offering. So like you were talking about the juice boxes or what have you, you know, that can, that can turn into a business profitable center for Pepsi, Mm -hmm. right? That's absolutely right. Uh, And that's the point is as a company, we have a fiduciary responsibility to be a profitable company. That's why we have our mantra of performance with purpose um, Mm -hmm. that we don't want those two to be separate, but we, we are purpose driven with food for good, but we want to help support uh, that side of the business. And I'll give you an example with those cold boxes. That technology helps us keep turkey sandwiches and milk at the proper temperatures, food safe every day. But Gatorade is using those uh, that same technology to keep $14 million worth of inventory from melting in the hot regions of the United States. Huh. So the same kind of technology can be used. Uh, Tropicana, Naked Juice, other parts of our business are piloting that technology as well, where it can be used we can find cost savings through innovation from Food for Good and also new product development uh, that we're helping to deliver. You know, and what strikes me too, Megan, which I think is really important, uh, what Matt is doing, what PepsiCo is doing too, is how often do we talk to businesses where they have people like Matt and it's like one person? Oh, totally. And the only thing they do is work with other nonprofits to execute things. And there's no, there's none of that innovativeness, that progressiveness from the company that impacts that relationship with the nonprofits. And Matt, I think it really helps on your end that you have some, actually some resources and people get this as an opportunity. There's no doubt about that. Uh, this program would be uh, <laughs> a shell of what it is if it was just me. I have an incredible team. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we've and heard that about of- you, Matt. We've heard that it's like, it's not <laughs> Matt, right. you know, that's the other Matt Smith. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, I, one thing that I'm most proud of with this program is that we have folks that have 15, 20 years of Frito-Lay Pepsi experience um, that are bringing that kind of professional experience of how to lead this type of operation and a deep passion. Um, when they combine those two, it's not just passion, but it's also food expertise. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what really, I think, allows us to run a, a effective purpose-driven business. Matt, are employees, do, do Pepsi employees know about this program or are you guys like this little hidden secret 
that people <laughs> don't even know about? Are they involved? Can I say both? Sure. Uh, we, uh, we needed, we wanted to be on this podcast so you could help us to get the word out to our employees. Oh, sweet. <laughs> yeah. No, well, how, I, many employees, have, how many employees are we talking about, Matt, in PepsiCo? Well, A PepsiCo lot. has uh, hundreds of thousands of employees across the, the world. Um, but we uh, have incredible employee support within PepsiCo, including uh, hundreds of employees that contribute thousands of hours every year, both as subject matter experts, steering committee members, Sonia Benson, who I mentioned creating new technology, but also uh, employees that go out during the summertime to kick a soccer ball with a kid during the summertime. Mm-hmm, uh, so mm-hmm. we have uh, employees that are engaging on all levels of Food for Good. That's awesome. And it strikes me that you know, I, I'm sure you know, companies are always looking for ways for their employees to be more involved in hands-on social impact programs. So the fact that you have one in-house is pretty cool. You know, the fact that you kind of have a built-in way for employees to tap in on a variety of different levels, whether it's they're yep. offering their tech, technical expertise or, as you said, just kicking a soccer ball with a kid. It's hard to turn down the chance to go... Uh... Sometimes my kids don't believe me when my workday includes playing sharks and minnows and jumping rope for kids. <laughs> Are they like, That's awesome. what kind of job is this? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, Matt, how, what are your success metrics at, at Food for Good? What, what, are, what sorts of things are you measuring to make sure that you guys are doing what you need to be doing? You know, if we're successful, uh, ultimately our goal is we want kids to have access to three healthy meals every day. Uh, and we want these families... Uh, to be uh, able to have a sustainable path out of poverty. Uh, But ways that we uh, measure that really tangibly are around the meals or servings that we provide, um, the geographic scope of how we're expanding, and also the jobs uh, that we're helping to create. Um, But those are, it's a process of making sure that we're doing those things well and paying good wages, uh, making sure that those meals and servings are nutritious uh, so there's a lot of detail within those, but those are some of the high-level metrics. Mm. Um, Matt, it's such an impressive program in terms of what you're doing. Tell us about a challenge, like something that makes what you want to accomplish difficult. And it sounds like you guys have addressed so many different things that were challenging and you made easy. But is there something right now that you could point out to your audience so that they don't come out of this podcast thinking that you're godlike? And you can make anything uh, we happen. Just, we just that. need a longer. <laughs> we just need a longer podcast. They won't. They won't <laughs> think that. Um, the uh, one of the biggest challenges that we find. So let me let me try to paint a picture like this. Right. <clears throat> the USDA funding that exists. Mm-hmm. There is there, there are millions of dollars that go unused every year to feed kids in the U.S., mm-hmm. which is hard to fathom. Yeah. Uh, there are millions of hungry kids right. in this country. And also millions of dollars that go unused. So how is that possible? Mm-hmm. On the other side, we believe that we've built a uh, just the food side of this process um, in such a way that running it break even, it can scale indefinitely. Mm-hmm. And so there is the potential on one side for the funding to be there to pay for more meals. On the other side, the potential for a business model to scale indefinitely. And what's so critical to have that connects those two um, realities is that local nonprofit organization. Mm. That local nonprofit organization has incredible strengths, and I could give you story after story of uh, how well they know their neighborhoods and how in- incredibly connected they are, how critical they are to this uh, type of program being successful. What they often don't have are an abundance of resources and staff to go 
identify new places to serve new kids. Mm -hmm. So the capacity of these nonprofit partners is one of the biggest challenges. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'll give you an an example. We, uh, were, we expanded to Miami, Florida this year for the first time. And, uh, the, uh, USDA was incredibly supportive of that process. The, the Florida department of agriculture has uh, some amazing folks there that were incredibly supportive of, uh, the opportunity to partner together to expand. Um, there are a lot of different nonprofit organizations that do this type of work. Um, they're not all necessarily looking to expand or grow. They may not all have the capacity to, um, to scale, uh, at a significant level. And it took some time for us to connect to the right partner. And when we did an organization called Flippany, uh, we know we've got the right kind of foundation to begin to grow in Miami. Uh, but that process takes some time and can be a challenge. Mm. You know, how often do we hear that too, Megan, that it requires finding that right nonprofit to work with and not that the other one, it wasn't appropriate, but it may have not have been ideal, you know, in terms of being right. a lot of times it comes down to scale in the program. Yep, exactly. Yeah. I was just about to say that. Matt, this is such a great program. I'm so excited that you were able to come on the show and talk to our listeners a little bit more about this. If people want to learn more about Pepsi's Food for Good, how would they do that online? They can find us at PepsiCoFoodForGood.com. And uh, we will hopefully soon have uh, greater social uh, media presence as well, where they can find us at hashtag food for good. Uh, through PepsiCo's channels at PepsiCo. Excellent. We'll include that in the show notes, of course. Joe, where can people find you online if they'd like to? Uh, People can find me on Twitter at Joe Waters. You can obviously visit Selfish Giving, sign up for my email newsletter, get my five-day mini course on cause marketing. And don't forget all those great pins that I have on Pinterest on cause-related campaigns at Pinterest.com front slash Joe Waters. What about you, Megan? Where can people find you? I'm also on Twitter at Megan Strand, and I tweet for Engage for Good at Engage for Good, which is also where you can find today's show notes engageforgood.com as well as selfishgiving.com and while you are online make sure you subscribe to the cause talk radio podcast in itunes or google play so that you do not miss an episode and on behalf of matt and joe and myself i'd like to thank you so much for joining us for this episode of cause talk radio and we'll talk to you next time 